need someone to love us and tell us what to do. Oh Lord, we need like you. Oh Lord, we need the Savior upon this weary road. We need someone to guide us and share our heavy someone to love us and tell us what to do oh lord we need a friend like you just over in the glory land i have a home prepared where the saints abide just over in the glory land and i long to by my savior's side just over in the glory land come on y'all yes just over Angels band just over in the glory land. Yes, just over in the glory land. There with the mighty host, I'll stand just over in the glory land with the blood. Watch strong, I will shout and sing just over in the glory land. Glad hosannas to Christ the Lord and King just over in the glory land. Yes, just over in the glory Reland, I'll join, yes, yeah, join the, the happy angel band just over in the glory land. Yes, just over, just over in the glory land. There with the mighty host, I'll stand over in the glory yeah come on yes and just over just over in the glory land i'll join yes join the happy angels band just over in the glory land yes just over just over in the glory land, there we yeah, with the mighty host. I'll just over in Come on, the one more time, y'all. Let's sing it like you mean it. Yes, just over, just over in the glory Join, yes, join the, the happy 
angels band just over in the glory land. Just over, just over in the glory land. There we stand with the mighty host. I stand just over in the glory land. Well, just over in the glory land. Yes, just over in the glory land. Amen. Amen. Repeat after me. New self-worth. The worth I place on my mental and physical well-being as a result of owning that my mind and body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which gives me God worth rather than other worth and compels me to love and take care of my mind and body every day. <laughs> you may be seated in the presence of our God. Once again, we are truly thankful to the God of heaven who doeth all things right and that he's allowed us to meet one more time on this time side of life. And certainly we need to give God all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. And if you're visiting with us, no strangers in the house, just friends whom we have not met. Amen. Next week, Lord willing, we got a special treat for you. We're going to have Brother Peter Martin in the house, and he'll be preaching for us all day on next Sunday. So we encourage you all to come out and encourage this young preacher. He's the minister emeritus for this particular congregation, and he's like a little brother to me. I have not been able to be in touch with him in the past few months, but we touched bases on earlier this week, and he's excited about coming, and hopefully we are excited about having him in the house. Let's continue to keep Brother Robinson in our prayers Many of you all have had the privilege to go and visit with him and know that um, he enjoys need to be in our prayers. And regardless of what the doctors say, we know God is able. I said God is able. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That scripture in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 is a powerful text. It sort of covers everything. Don't you ever get in the habit of thinking that our God is not a miracle-working God. Because the Bible said he's able. It doesn't always mean he's going to, but we serve a God who is able. And it's the ableness of God that ought to be a source of encouragement to all of us. Luke chapter 15, we're dealing with new self-worth. And as we begin to deal with these core values, as you notice, each and every month has a core value. 
And when we talk about these core values, we're really talking about the values of Jesus Christ. And then based on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. As we strive to walk in the example of Jesus Christ, what we are striving to do, we are striving to take the core values of Christ, and we are trying to make those core values applicable to our own lives. And so it is a lifelong pursuit. You never get to the point where you have arrived, but each and every day, as we take inventory of our lives, we've got to see where we are versus where we have been, and then we can strive to go where we need to go. And one of the problems with new self-worth is many of us, we struggle with our self-identification, we struggle with our self-actualization, we struggle with our self-value, we struggle with our own self-worth. And you need to realize that God created you and he created you in a unique fashion and that you are worthy and valuable in the sight of God. Amen. The Bible says in Genesis 2 and verse 7 that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Your soul is more valuable than the whole world. Jesus said, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Your soul is valuable. It is indispensable. And your soul is that part of you that makes you who you are. And we understand that we are threefold spiritual beings. I'm not just a body. This body is my house. But in this house, I have a spirit and I have a soul. The spirit is the real me that makes me me. And my soul is my personality. When I die, my body goes to the cemetery. My spirit goes to God, but my soul goes to a place that's called the Hadean world, where all souls go when you die. But we don't go to the same place. And one of these days, your soul and my soul will stand before the judgment seat of God. And we have to give an account for the things we have done while we are in these bodies whether it be good or whether it be bad. And so we need to realize that our souls are valuable and we need to be cognizant of the things that we do while we have the blood running warm in our veins because the most valuable part of you is your soul. And in Luke chapter 15, really I call this, this chapter here deals with the parable of the loss. The parable of the loss. We see in this particular parable, Jesus talks about a lost sheep. He talks about a lost silver coin. He talks about 
a lost son, but he also talks about a lost sibling. And one thing I love about the Lord is when the Lord came, he always dealt with the lost, he always dealt with the least, and he always dealt with those who were considered to be the last. The Lord was concerned about those who were considered to be insignificant in life. Not because God considers them insignificant, but because the world looks down on them. But in the eyes of God, it does not matter who you are. It does not matter what your status is in life. You are significant to God. You mean a lot to God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in John 3 and verse 16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You and I are so valuable to God that God gave us the greatest gift that has ever been given to humankind. Watch this. He gave his only begotten son. And that means that if Jesus was given for you, and if Jesus was given for me, then I must have value. And when we begin to look at these lessons in Luke chapter 15, in each case, we can see that the thing that was lost was valuable. The sheep was valuable. The silver was valuable. The son was valuable. And even the sibling who was in the home was valuable. Why do you say they were valuable? Where the sheep was valuable because even though the shepherd had a hundred sheep, when one left, he only had 99. And the one that left was so valuable to him that he left the 99 after I'm sure he secured them. And he went to find the one sheep that was lost. The woman that lost the corn, she had 10 initially. She lost one. And she began to sweep the house. She began to search the house. She went and got a light and she looked in every crack, every crevice, and every corner. Even though she had nine coins left, the one she lost was so valuable to her that she began to search the house from the top to the bottom to find that one coin. The father had two sons. One son left, but that son was so valuable to that father that that father would go every day looking for that one son that he had lost. And isn't that the way it is with God? And shouldn't that be the way it is with us? We should consider the fellowship of the body of Christ to be so valuable to us. When that shepherd lost that one sheep, and why are the sheep so valuable to a shepherd? I mean, he's got 99 more. 
See, if you understand the ancient Near East, each sheep was like a family member. I mean, that shepherd was there to birth that little ewe lamb. And when that ewe lamb was born, he named it. And he raised it from a ewe lamb to a calf until it became a full-grown sheep. And he knew every sheep because he had coddled them. He had birthed them. He fed them. He led them. He named them. And they were more than a pet to him. They were like a family member. And how many of you all have had pets? And that pet died. My family, we had a German shepherd by the name of Simba. You know, we named him after Simba on the Lion King. And my daughters, Amber and Janae, they grew up with that shepherd, that dog. That dog would hurt you over my girls. He loved those girls, especially Amber. Amber had a connection with Simba that is indescribable. And we had him for about 13 plus years. He was with us in Memphis. He came with us to uh, New York. And then one day Amber came to me and said, Dad, there's something wrong with Simba. He's falling down on his side and he can't get up. And I went and sure enough, Simba couldn't get up. And we picked him up and put him in the car and we took him to the veterinarian. And when they looked at it, the vet came back and said, Sir, he's going to die. He has cancer. And the reason he can't walk is because the fluids begin to build up in his lower extremities and it causes him to get weak. And now he said, we can drain the fluids, but it's good. the process is gonna start all over again. And then eventually he's going to die. See, Simba wasn't just a pet. Simba was a family member. We loved that dog. He wasn't just a dog. He was almost like a son to me. When I would leave and go do a meeting, he would get depressed. I would talk to my daughter Amber. She said, Daddy, Simba's depressed. He's not eating because you're not here. And then my car would pull up in the driveway and Simba would get all excited because he knew Papa was home. Well, we had to put him to sleep. Even Janae cried. And I didn't think Janae cared for him that much. They were both sad. Because he was valuable to us. The sheep was valuable to the shepherd. And when he found that sheep, because sometimes, you know, sheep, when they get lost, they really get lost six feet at a time because they're basically what, uh, uh, nearsighted, they, they can only see about six feet in front of them. And they're easily distracted. They'll see something shiny over here. They'll go in that direction. They'll see something shiny over there. See, curiosity 
will cause many of us to get lost because we start looking at things and being attracted to things that are shiny, and those shiny things, metaphorically speaking, pull us away from the Lord. We'll go check out this church. We'll go check out this church. We'll go check out this club. We'll go check out this man. We'll go check out this woman. And before you know it, we done checked out of the church. And for whatever reason, that sheep, it got lost. And it got lost because of itself. See, some folk are lost because of themselves. And when that man, when that shepherd finds that sheep, he puts it over his shoulder because that's what a shepherd does. And when he put that sheep over his shoulder, that sheep can hear the shepherd's heart. Because that sheep is lost and it's afraid and his heart is racing. And when that shepherd finds that sheep and he puts that sheep over his shoulder and his head is resting against his heart, it calms down that sheep. And when the Lord finds you, he wants your heart to connect with his heart so that whatever you are afraid of, whatever you're struggling with, he'll calm you down. And then with the coin, it was because of the woman's carelessness that she lost the coin. And in the ancient Near East, women would wear this headgear that had at least 10 coins on it. And the coins symbolize a woman's status. And if she had 10 coins, it was an indication, like our wedding band, that she was a married woman and that no strange man should talk to her. But if she had less than 10, it was an indication that she was either, either a widow or she was divorced. And then that changed her status altogether. So when she lost that one coin, it was valuable to her because it was an indication of her status. And she didn't want folk to think she was a floozy, that she was creeping on her husband. She wanted folk to know that she was happily married. And when she lost that coin, it was so valuable to her that she searched the whole house trying to find it. Yeah. And then that son, I don't think I need to go into detail, and I'll talk about that son more at the second service. I'm going to talk about the player who came home. Yeah. But that son was valuable to the father, just like our children are valuable to us. I don't love Amber more than I do Janae. I don't love Janae more than I do Amber. And I'm sure Debbie feels the same way. We love our children equally. But if one left for whatever reason, our hearts would be set on edge because those are our babies no matter how old they get. So they were, they were invaluable. You couldn't put a price on them. But then the search 
was intense. I mean, he left the 99 to go get the one. She ignored the nine coins she had to find the one. The father had one son at home, but every day he went looking for the one that left. Not only was a sheep invaluable, the silver coin invaluable, not only was the son who left invaluable, but the search for all three was intense. And then the success of finding all three was indescribable. Brother Riley mentioned the case with, I think her name is Amber Geiger or Amber Geyer. And then the brother, the young brother that was shot and killed uh, both, both them, Gene, you know, he was, a, he was a youth minister. He was a song leader. He was a member of the Dallas West Church of Christ. I remember when I was at the uh, uh, last Texas State lectureship, and it was Dallas West was hosting that lectureship, and Mario and I went, and, and uh, Brother Gene, the young brother that was murdered, he sang a song for every speaker that got up, and and he and Mario knew one another pretty well. As a matter of fact, he went to school with my daughter Amber. I didn't even know who he was until he was murdered. And Amber came to me and said, Daddy, I went to school with both. I guess they called him both. His name was Botham, but she called him. I went to school with him. Did you hear the news? I didn't know what she was talking about. She said he was killed, and he's a member of the church. And when I saw him, I said, I know that young man. And then I saw the minister from Dallas West on television. I said, that's a young man that sang at the lectureship year before last. And then he was in his apartment eating ice cream, watching television, and this police officer comes in and shoots him. Of course, he's invaluable. That's their son. But what amazed me, and I agree with Anthony, When she was sentenced, even though there was a lot of foolishness taking place in the street. See, some people don't know their own self-worth, and then they want to piggyback off of your self-worth. And we as African Americans, uh, we got to realize we don't have to fight every fight. Everything is not about our ethnicity. Some things are beyond us. What right do people have to demonstrate in the street when the young brother of both of them is on the stand and he says, if I had my way, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't even want her to go to jail. Obviously, his parents had taught him what the gospel was all about. The gospel is really about forgiveness. And it's the type of forgiveness that's indescribable. And then he turns to the judge and he says, Your Honor, is it all right if I hug her? When the shepherd finds a sheep and he brings it back home, 
he calls all the other shepherds and everybody together and say, come on, let's rejoice. The sheep that was lost is found. When the woman finds the one coin that she had lost, she calls all her friends and they rejoice and say, we have found, I have found the coin that I lost. When the son comes back home, the father put a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, said, go kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party because my son was lost. Now he's found. He was dead. And that's what it's like when you're lost in the eyes of the Lord. It's like you are dead. And what I love about the father is he doesn't wait for the son to get to him. He sees the son coming and he runs, hugs him. And I can see in my sanctified imagination, he probably jumped on him out of joy and the weight of him probably caused them both to fall over on the ground and I can see him on top of his son kissing him, his tears dripping all over him. And Jesus says, that's the way it is in heaven. The angels rejoice over one soul that comes back than they do over 99 just souls who don't need repentance. You are valuable in the eyes of God. And just like Brother Bothan's little brother went and hugged the woman who murdered his big brother. And this young man demonstrated the gospel of Christ in a way that the world missed. That's what Jesus does for us when we genuinely repent and come back home. He treats us as if the sin never happened. Now God forgives us for the sin, but we still have to deal with the consequences. Amber Geiger, Geiger, she was forgiven by Botham Jean's brother, but she still has to go to prison. But she's going to prison knowing that the family forgave her. And that should be our attitude. I know I got to suffer the consequences but I can handle what I'm going through because the Father has forgiven me through the Son. Will you come today if you need this forgiveness and you don't know the Lord and the pardon of your sins, but maybe you are numbered with the lost, the least, in the last, 
but the Lord can save you now. If you come by faith, repenting of your sins, confessing him to be the son of the living God, and you're baptized with wa in water with the understanding that God will forgive you for all your sins. The sheep, the silver, the son and the sibling, they were invaluable. The search was intense, but the success was indescribable. In the same way the angels rejoice over that sheep, they will rejoice over you coming back to the Lord this morning if you need to come back. The parable of the lost, the least, and the last. If you feel subject, come as together we stand and as we sing. Page 909, there's a fountain free. There's a fountain free. Tears for you and me. Let us haste, oh haste, to his bring. Tis the fount of love from the source above, and he bids us all freely drink. Will you come to the fountain? Oh, brother, 
mental and physical well-being as a result of owning that my mind and body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which gives me God worth rather than other worth and compels me to love and take care of my mind and body every day. Amen. Now we're going to take a few moments to greet our neighbor, give him a handshake, give him a hug. But as soon as you hear the song leader, please take your seat. Amen. Let the spirit of the Lord arise among us. Let the spirit of the Lord arise among us. Let the praises of our King arise among us. Let it rise. Let it rise. Let the spirit. Let the spirit. Let it rise, 
Let the love, let the love, let the love of the Lord arise among us. Let the love of the Lord arise among us. Let the praise of our King arise among us. Let it rise. The joy, let the joy, let the joy of the Lord arise among us. Let the joy of the Lord arise among us. Let the praise of our King arise among us. Let it rise. Let it rise, let the peace, let the peace, let the peace of the Lord arise among us. Let the peace of the Lord arise among us. Let the praise of the King arise among us. Let it rise. Let the spirit, let the spirit of the Lord rise among us. Let the spirit of the Lord rise among us. Let the praise of our King rise among us. Let it rise. Once again, we are the express recipients of another manifestation of his marvelous grace. Yes. Truly, God has been good to us, yes. certainly better to us yes. than we ever dared to be to ourselves. Oh, yes. And if you're visiting with us, no strangers in the house, Amen. just friends whom we have not met. Yes. Yes. And we certainly need to continue to be prayerful for Brother Robinson. Uh, we know he's doing fairly well in the hospital, and we know we serve a God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. So we know the doctors practice medicine, but God is a doctor who never lost a patient. And so we need to keep him in our prayers. It's good to see, I think, Sister Holmes is back. We know she's been in the hospital and she had an incident. God is good. Good to see you, Sister Holmes. Amen. She was waving her hand in there, letting everybody know everything's all right. Amen. And Brother Holmes got a smile on his face. Amen. Amen.
good to have Richard back. He up here singing like he missed home, so we glad to have him back as well. Lord willing, on next week, we're going to have a treat for you. Um, my little brother, I call him, Peter Martin. Peter is going to be with us next Sunday all day long. As a matter of fact, um, uh, I told Peter I'd like for him to come and fill in the gap for me from time to time when I'm traveling. And so he'll be here next Sunday. And he'll be preaching at the 8 o'clock service. He'll be here at the second service as well. I love the young man. I mean, I've respected Peter over the years. And uh, when he recommended me to come here, the first thing I wanted to know, son, who bothering you? Do I need to come down there and straighten somebody out? Little did I know he was recommending me to take over his pulpit. And so we're gonna have a treat next week. I'll be out of town. You all pray for me. And uh, hopefully, we know all things will work out well. Amen? Luke chapter 15. The text that was read so wonderfully, and you're hearing by one of our pastors. I was telling Brother Parker, I said, Brother Parker, you sound like you're ready to preach. He already got his staff like Moses, so... <laughs> If you don't mind, let us stand for the reading of the word of God. Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse number 21, I want to particularize and emphasize the things I want to make known. Good to see TJ back. Yeah, I hope mama's doing all right. Good to see her. I can see Angelo got a smile on his face. He had to shave that beard. He had, I mean, uh, he had to. Uh, uh, sorry, I didn't mean that. <laughs> Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 21. And the son said unto the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. You may be seated in the presence of our God. I want to speak as a spiritual guide with this thought in our minds as we consider the core value for this month new self worth. A player comes home. <laughs> I'll let that sink in for some of you. A player comes home. A certain man had two sons. 
And one day, the younger of them became curious and inquisitive about what was going on outside the walls of his father's house. You see, at home, there was always the prohibiting sign, thou shall not. At home, he was always running into annoying limitations. At home, he was always told, go so far, but not any further. At home, he was always tripping over rules and regulations. At home, his father was always stepping in with barriers and signboards. At home, he was surrounded by boundaries. But this is not what the young man was looking for. He was seeking a freedom that knew no reverence, a freedom that had no limitations. He wanted a kind of freedom whereby he could do whatever he wanted to do with whom he ever wanted to do it with and when he wanted to do it. Thus, his beating pulse coupled with his exciting passions, convinced him that if he remained within the confines of his father's house, he would not be able to experience life, nor taste life to its fullest. Thus, he felt that it was high time now for him to leave his father's house and be on his own. And the thing that kept pricking away at this young lad was that for some reason, he kept feeling like he was missing something. For some reason, this young man felt that the bright lights of Babylon were more radiating than the candles that glowed in his father's house. He felt that the music which swelled the breeze that was made by Babylon's midnight hip-hoppers and rappers would be more enhancing and soothing to his soul than those old hymns of Zion that had electrified his father's house. For some reason, this young man thought that the food he could eat at the big city restaurants would be more palatable to his taste buds than the bread and the meat he had eaten at his father's table. He thought that the social in-crowd of Babylon would be more interesting and entertaining than his childhood friends with whom he played and had grown up with at his father's house. This young man somehow felt that the advice he would get from the big city psychologists and philosophers would be more constructive than that old homespun advice that fell from the lips of his father. Yes, this young man somehow felt that he was missing something. 
And oh, how many young people have been trapped and engulfed by these two words, missing something. How many young people today are stone alcoholics simply because they were convinced that they were missing something? How many young people have become crackheads and addicts all because they are hooked on drugs simply because they were convinced that they were missing something? How many young people are there who have become prostitutes caught up in sexual addiction and all kinds of sexual misconduct simply because they are convinced that they are missing something. How many young girls have yielded their chastity and sacrificed their well-being because they were convinced that they were missing something. How many homes have been torn asunder because husbands and wives were convinced that they were missing something. So perhaps this young man would have stayed at home had he not been convinced that he was missing something. This young man may have been brilliant, but he had no sense of accountability because he had not come to grips with three basic questions of life. Number one, where did I come from? Number two, why am I here? And number three, where am I going? He just wanted to get away from restraint. He wanted to get away from responsibility. He wanted to get away from accountability. He didn't know where he was going, but he was in a hurry to get there. The world offers so much to see. It offers all kinds of things to do. Life was there for the taking. It was there for the tasting. It was there for the handling. He therefore resolved and decided to leave the weary monotony of home for the variety and pleasures of a distant scene and not caring about the injustice of the demand, he began to plead with his father for his portion of the family estate. He would be his own master. He would be free and unfeathered. He would wander away as he pleased, and he would therefore be able to do whatever he wanted to do. Thus, gathering up his ingratitude, his selfishness, and his rebellion in an act of shameless courage. He looked his father in the eye and had the audacity to say to his loving father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth on me. Listen if you please, Father, give me 
the portion of goods that follow to me. Father, give me my portions. Give me my share. In other words, Father, I ain't got time to wait for you to die. Give me my portion, my portion, my portion. I mean, wasn't that some demand for this young man to make of his father? Father, give me my portion. I say that because here was this young man living in his daddy's house, sleeping in his daddy's bed, covering up with his daddy's quilts, eating at his daddy's table, spending his daddy's money, but he's big enough, bad enough, grown enough, mannish enough, talking about, Father, give me my portion. Yes, selfishness is one of the most unfeeling passions in a human's heart. For the world today has this same kind of spirit as this young, prodigal, wasteful boy. For the world's unceasing cry is, give me. No matter what it costs, give me. No matter whose heart it breaks, give me. No matter what misery is caused, give me. No matter who lacks what, and no matter who it hurts, the world says, give me, give me, give me. Yes, in the temple of mammon, from every shrine, there are sins, the ceaseless litany. Not grant me in mercy thy favors, but give me my claims. Father, give me my portion of goods that falleth unto me. So this young man demanded to be separate from his father's house. He took his portion and departed from the rules and care of his father's house. He took control of his own life. And the thing that's wrong with many of us in here today is that we are now in control of our own life. We don't go by what we learn in Sunday school. Bless our hearts, some of us don't even know what the building looked like during Sunday school. We pay no attention to mama's advice. We ignore the preacher because we think he's only out for money. But now you are captain of your soul. You are the master of your own fate. And many of you, when you are faced with tough decisions, you never use the scriptures to help you decide what you ought to do. You are in control. You are on the throne of your own life. You think there is something soft about being instructed from the pulpit. A lot of men think 
it is a sign of not being masculine, that you are not hard enough when they can't go around and stick out their chest and say, don't nobody tell me what to do. Thus, when this young man took his life into his own hand, he cut himself off from his roots. And the Bible says, and not many days thereafter, did the young man gather all his belongings together and he took his journey into a far country. From all indications, he left nothing behind to suggest that he would ever return home. In other words, he cut himself off from his father and he journeyed into a far country. But this being a far country means more than being cut off from his father. To us, it means being cut off from our heavenly father. And the question arises at this point, brother preacher, what is the far country? Augustine said that the far country is the place where we experience forgetfulness about God the Father. He said it's not a place, but it is a state of being, a state of mind. Paul perhaps described the far country as that place where we are alienated from God. We are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You see, whenever we desire to be independent of God and seek to become gods within ourselves. We are cutting ourselves off from our roots and we have gone into a far country. Yes, when we grow weary of living by God's fullness and believe that we can be a fountain of blessedness within ourselves and to ourselves, I drop by to tell you, then you have gone into the far country. So then the far country can be in your own city. It could be further north than New York City. The far country can be in your own neighborhood, Seguin or Converse. The far country can be on your block. It can be in your house or it can be in your room. Anywhere you turn your back on God, that place becomes a far country. Yes, like a mirage in the desert. The promise of the far country tantalizes. It teases. And it challenges you to keep moving towards it. It promises so much, and it delivers too. But the delivery is transformed into something else in the end. The far country is a ghost country. It is a country of shattered dreams. It is a country of personal disillusionment. It is a country of diseased bodies insatiable appetites, lonely crowds, and moral bankruptcy. The far country ends in a pig's pen. 
Yes, with this young man being in the far country and having his life and his control. The Bible says he began to live riotously. He allowed his body to become a vehicle of uncontrolled passions. Didn't want to drink crystal from the crystal, but he couldn't put down the glass. He prostituted all that had been given to him. He started having delusions of greatness, for he started becoming dependent upon people he thought he could buy. Look at him in the far country, cut off from his father, living in grand style. Look at him. He's got friends of both sexes. He has a brand new wardrobe. He thinks he has developed taste, class, and culture. He's making a hit with everybody. He's a big baller, shot caller, and a number one stunner. He went into the clubs and the bars, and he shouted to the bartender, Hennessy and Cavassier for everybody on the house. And there he drank the fiery cups of hell. He got with the wicked women of the far country. And he began to dissipate his body. Just look at him, whining and dining, laying and playing, huffing and puffing, prancing and dancing, playing a part of a player. He gave all kinds of parties, freak parties, stag movies. Just look at him. Living a life that was contrary to that which he had lived in his father's house. And unfortunately, this is the same step that many young people are taking today. They've gone so far that not only have they separated themselves from their father's house, but they've gone to the big city and began to live a life contrary to the way they were brought up. And many of us were brought up in the church. And when some of us are away from home, you're saying, I love the Lord, but I don't belong to any church. I have church in my dorm. I walk on the streets uh, or I go to the beach and I commune with God. You begin to tell yourself all kinds of lies. But if you would just tell the truth, you would have to admit that you are living contrary to the way mama brought you up. And some of us are even big enough to fool ourselves to despise the way that mama brought us up. But I'm glad my mama brought me up the way my mama brought me up. I wish my mama was still here so I could let her know how much I appreciate what mama taught me. And I don't know about you, but I'm not mad with my mama. Talking about I went to church 
all of my life and I promised myself that if I ever get away from mama I would never stay in church like that no more but that was a foolish promise and nobody was in that promise but the devil but as for me I'm glad mama brought me up the way mama brought me up I'm glad mama taught me to pray I'm glad mama taught me how to take a bath. I'm glad mama taught me to look nice, to be respectful, to say yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. I'm glad mama taught me not to steal. And another thing I'm glad mama taught me to do is to take care of what's mine. There are some fellas right here in this city, riding around in their pimped out ride with 22 inch rims, some of them sagging, some of them wearing Stacy Adams shoes, maybe some of them got on a Marnie suit, silk and satin shirts, got their fade going on, shake beers, thinking you a baller and a shot caller, and yet their little children on welfare. But mama taught me that if it's yours, you take care of it. No, 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 I'm not mad with my mama. So then many of us are like this young prodigal son. We're living lives contrary to the way we were brought up. So then behind riotous living comes waste. This young man took his portion and went into a far country. And the Bible says there he wasted his substance in riotous living. He wasted his substance. He wasted his substance. He became worldly, carrying his portion into an unregenerated, unsaved world and there he wasted his substance. His gifts were debauched and misused. Everything he had and everything about his person, he made it a servant of sin. This player's ear drank in blasphemy, irreligion, and indecency. His heart was made the residence of evil affection. And his head and his understanding was cradled with wickedness, ungodliness, and infidel principle. He wasted his substance. The Bible says he wasted his substance. And when we prostitute the God-given gifts that God has blessed us to have. Oh, what a waste. When we misuse our time, misuse our talents, misuse our treasures, when our youth has been exploited, misused, and abused, oh, what a waste. Yes, player. There's got to be a better use for your money than to spend it on that 
which does not satisfy. Player, there's got to be a better way than coughing and spitting and inhaling smoke, blowing and chewing and wasting your substance. Player, there has to be a more nobler use for your body than to fill it with some STD that you visit down to the next generation. Player, there's a better paradise than the temporary high you get on cloud nine that comes from a needle in your arm, weed in your lung, alcohol in your system. This young prodigal son wasted his substance. Behind riotous living and waste comes a moment when you realize how unfulfilled you are, how terribly dissatisfied you are with the person you have become. It happened to this young man. He shrewed his father's goods along a spendthrift path. He embarked on a career of waste and he disregarded uh, the most important principles of life and that led him straight to famine and bankruptcy. Can I tell y'all something? This is a work world. You can rebel if you want to. This young man did. And as a result of that, this attitude that the world owes you a living is not true but you cannot change the results of that attitude because a sense of want will set in. You will eventually be filled with loathing for yourself, for the knowledge that you have accomplished nothing and that you are nothing and that you've understood nothing. It will and it can haunt you to no end. This player, he wasted his substance. He wasted his substance and riotous living. What a terrible, terrible lifestyle. Riotous living. Riotous living will take away your health, then it'll turn around and take away your wealth because you'll spend all your wealth trying to get back your health. Riotous living will plow untimely wrinkles in your face and cause you to look old before you get old. Riotous living will give you cirrhosis of the living. Riotous living will make insurance companies cancel your policy because you are not a preferred risk. Nothing has made funeral directors rich like riotous living. Nothing has kept grave diggers digging Graves like riotous living. Go out to the cemetery and every other grave you pass, what was the cause of death? And in most instances, the answer will come back. Riotous living. It ages you. It affects your health. It shortens your life. It breaks up your home. It takes away from your standing in the community. No bomb has ever been discovered, be it atomic bomb, 
hydrogen bomb, nuclear bomb, neutron bomb, no bomb has ever been discovered that has killed more people than riotous living. All of the wars in the ancient, medieval, and modern times have not carried as many folk to the judgment as has riotous living. Riotous living will bring you humiliating and painful experiences. It will bring you heartaches and headaches, two and three broken marriages, serious family problems, insecurity, and a worn out body, and an unstable future. This young player wasted his substance in riotous living. So it was that this young prodigal son departed from his father's house into a far country, and there he wasted his substance in riotous living. But the tragedy of the whole story is right here where the Bible says, and when he had spent all. The frightening thing about it is that the devil won't settle for anything less. He'll bleed you dry. He'll scuttle you. He'll strip you of everything decent and worthwhile. He'll tell you, have a blast. But he'll never let you hold anything in reserve. Everything he touches and comes in contact with, he wants it all. It is the devil's delight to smash, to mangle, to twist, to mutilate, to disfigure, to darken, and to blast in every way, everything you have that he can, he wants it all. It makes him no different whether it's your body, your soul, your flesh, your ideas, matter, or spirit, the devil aim is still the same. He wants to get it all. And the way he gets it all is by deceiving, lying, distorting, counterfeiting, play-acting, masquerading by illusion and fantasy. He just wants it all. I'm almost through. And to show you how the devil really is, he doesn't want us to just make a mistake. But rather, he would have us to make a mess. Because he wants it all. He doesn't just ask you to hate sometimes. He wants you to hate everybody all the time. He wants it all. He doesn't ask you to lie sometimes. He wants you to be an habitual, chronic liar. He wants it all. He doesn't just ask you to drink sociably, but he wants you to become a wino, a straight out lush head. He wants it all. He doesn't ask you to steal sometimes. He wants you to be a kleptomaniac. He doesn't just want you to separate 
He wants you to get a divorce. Hear me, somebody. When the devil is through, he'll have it all, all of your strength. Young lady, he'll have all of your beauty and your fine figure. Young man, when the devil gets through with you, he'll have all of your sound judgment, all of your good thinking, all of your health, all of your strength, all of your integrity, all of your influence, all of your character. He wants it all. Young people, the devil wants you to work for him all the time and for allowing him to taint and stain your whole being with sin, for allowing him to corrupt your moral being, to darken your spirit, debase your soul, weaken your will, blunt your conscience, for allowing him to warp your mind ruin your name, wreck your future, shorten your life, and defile your body. All he can give you is death for the wages. See, I got to get out of here. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. And he began to be in want. Yes, when he had spent all, had nothing else in his pockets, no ring on his finger, no clothes were on his back, no shoes on his feet. For he had gone down to the local pawn shop and he had hopped his entire wardrobe. Look at him, standing there ragged and broke. And when he had spent all, there rose a mighty famine in the land. And now he began to be in want. For you know, willful waste always make woeful want. And when this young man found himself in want, the Bible says he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his field to feed swine. Oh, don't you see the player sitting in solitary confinement out in the hall pen? Don't you see him with his silk shirt torn and in rags? His eyes are sunken back in the socket of his head. His cheeks were hollow. His lips were parched and cracked. He looked like the very effigy of famine itself. Holes all around his hand and feet. He himself had to eat the same husk that the hogs ate. But when will we learn that what satisfies a hog won't satisfy us? Because we were made for bigger and better things, but he ate the husk. Whatever vice you have in life, that's the husk. Just walk through the Bible with me, people, and look at those people who tried to make themselves satisfied with husk. Esau thought he could be satisfied with soup. Judas thought silver would satisfy his needs. Ahab sold himself for sex. Demas thirst for this present world. 
Cain killed his brother and chose violence. Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. Peter tried profanity. Herod tried vulgarity. And all of them made a trip into the far country. And for all of them, their chief delight turned to husk. Preacher, get out of here. But so far, as this player who left home was concerned, the evidence is in. The jury has returned and the verdict is in. He would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. What? No man? No man. To me, who could have in that moment, you crawl, you turn from the gambling table, your last chips have been raked in, every asset is liquidated, the crowds have turned away, you feel cheated, taken, beaten, like you've been nothing but a fool, because everybody plays a fool every once in a while. And the book says, no man gave unto him, no man, no man. You mean out of all the friends that young man had, he doesn't have anybody now? No man. Out of all those who stood so faithfully by him in the club, as long as he had money to spend and luxuries to offer, and now no man, yes, no man. Not even that bosom friend who swore a few weeks ago that he would stand by him through thick and thin. No man. Everybody gone. Looked like he could have turned around. But you know, sometimes God has to bring us down and put us in a position where there is no man before he can get our attention. And then the Bible says, and when he came to himself. You know, whenever a man leaves God, it is to say he's not himself. And when he came to himself. And you know, out of all the people we may feel that do not like us and are against us, when all is said and done, self is our biggest enemy. The Greek used to say, know yourself. The Romans say, rule yourself. The Chinese say, improve yourself. The Buddhists say, annihilate yourself. The Brahmins say, submerge yourself. Muslims say, submit yourself. Epicureans say, enjoy yourself. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The Stoics say, be satisfied with yourself. Madonna's song, express yourself. The communists used to say, liquidate yourself. Secularism says, get for yourself. But only Jesus says, deny yourself. And in reference to this player, the Bible says, and when he came to himself, and you know, some of us need to just come to ourselves. I'm trying to get out of here, but I can't leave him in the pig pen. After all that he said, after all that he had done, 
he came to himself. And every young person, every young man, every young woman, every old man, hopefully old woman, everybody needs to come to themselves at some point in time. He said, what I will do, I will get up out of this mess that I'm in. I will get up out of this situation. I will stop sleeping from pillar to post. I will stop running around with everybody. I will get up out of this deplorable condition and I will go back to my father. And I'll say, Father, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I've sinned against heaven first of all. And I know I've sinned against you. See, when you make a mistake, young people, go back to your parents and say, I'm sorry for what I've done, for what I've said, for embarrassing my family. That's when you come to yourself. And when he came to himself, the book says that the father saw him afar off. Which means the father must have been looking for him all the time. And can I tell somebody, the father looking for you to come on back home. And the Bible says, when the father saw him, now the father was up in age, the son was young, but the father ran. Maybe the father had arthritis, arthritic knees. Maybe he had recitis. Maybe he had a whole lot of health concerns. But when the adrenaline hit him, as a result of seeing his son coming, he ran to his son. And I told the church at 8 o'clock in my sanctified imagination, I can see him running so hard that he knocked his son over and they fell on the ground and he kissed him and baptized him with his tears. And the father told the servant, I want you to go to the house. Get him some clean clothes. Get his Armani suit out of the closet. Get him some brand new Stacy Adams off the shelf. Get him the gold ring I got for him on his 12th birthday. Bring them out here because I don't want people to see my son like this. I want him to know that he's my son and no matter how bad he's messed up. I love it. Now he's been restored. And once you are restored by God, no matter how bad you messed up, God will dress you up, fix you up, bless you up, turn you around, set your feet on solid ground. Because the dead got his son back. And I don't have time to talk about the prodigal brother. But this young man had enough sense. Now y'all do know there were two prodigals. Y'all do know that the lost sheep in the chapter represents the prodigal son who went into the far country of his own volition. But the coin that the woman lost it was because of our own carelessness. Now the sheep was lost because of his decisions that led him away from the shepherd. But the corn was lost in the house.
you got some folk that are like the prodigal son who's lost because they have left. And you got some who are like the brother who's lost in the house. You can be in the house and still be lost. But the player came home and he said, I'm going to go back to my father's house. He left home rich, but he came back poor. He left home riding in a golden chariot. See, God will humble you, but he came back walking. He left home in silk and satin, but he came back in rags. He left home in honor, but he came back in disgrace. He left home laughing, but he came home crying. He left home saying, give me. But he came home saying, Father, make me. The player came home. Quit playing with God. God is not mine. Whatsoever we soweth, that shall we also reap. Are there any players that need to come home? Are there any playees or playettes <laughs> that need to come home? I love you. And I don't preach lessons like this because I'm behind this desk like I'm better than you. I've been that player. And the Lord brought me home. Amen. And I'm so thankful that I'm a child of God. Amen. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And I don't deserve what the Father gives me. But I'm thankful that I've been saved because of my faith, my willingness to repent of my sins and confess him to be the only Savior. And I was baptized. And on a daily basis, when I sin, when I struggle, I go to him and say, Father, make me. Make me a better person. Make me a better husband. Make me a better father. Make me a better brother. Make me a better minister. Is there anyone else feel like I feel? But this message is for you. You wander far away from home. Now it's time. Come on home. Will you come on home? Come. As we're led in a song of encouragement, come on home before it's everlasting and eternally too late. Why don't you ask the Savior to help you comfort, strengthen, and keep you? Oh, he is willing and able to help you, and Jesus will carry you. Oh, why don't you ask the Savior? 
just ask him to help you and comfort, strengthen and keep you. Oh, Jesus is willing and able to help you, and Jesus will carry you through. Why don't you yield not to temptation?